0: Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue episode number 133. This interview is with Tim Spark, partner at Congregation Partners, helping brands and agencies with their communications. In this podcast, we discuss the challenges that advertising agencies face in this digital world, how companies need to evolve to enhance their digital know-how, accepting a test-and-learn culture, branding, new creative processes for running campaigns, the language of digital and business, and much more. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T.com where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So Tim, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, My name is Tim Spark.
1: I am a partner at a small consultancy business in London called Congregation Partners. And we basically help uh, brands and agencies evolve their comms output
0: in line with emerging channels and new opportunities. So when I I first met you, I was highly recommended to meet you, Tim. Uh, What struck me as interesting about Congregation Partners is that you have a a pool of very different expertises that you bring to the table. Tell us a little bit more about the types of people that you bring into your projects?
1: Brilliant. So we we basically sort of have three aspects to the business. We look at the strategy, the approach you've got to digital communications. We look at the people you've got and potentially the people you might need. So we'll often do sort of headhunting and general recruitment. And then we look at the knowledge levels within the business to work out of the people you've got, how can we improve their confidence, reduce their sense of fear and confusion, uncertainty, and doubt around uh, new opportunities in mobile, social, and the digital space.
0: When you founded Congregation Partners, what was the simulation? Because it's, it sounds very complex to be bringing in all these different elements into a project.
1: I think the plan was based around the idea that for example, recruitment in isolation doesn't work. You can take phenomenal digital talent and parachute them into a traditional agency, and we've spent five years watching these people flounder and really struggle because there was no buy-in from the top, there'd be no investment at the middle level, and culturally the agency wouldn't quite be ready. So when we look at projects, we generally look at, we do an audit initially, work out what the knowledge levels are, work out what the current output can be, and then we'll try and define what the ambition is. So what's the approach we want to take and what kind of uh, work do we actually aspire to? If you look at training on on its own, again, you can sort of improve people's knowledge levels, but fundamentally, if they go back to work and none of the culture or the um, the talent's changed, then again, that training's only going to have a limited effect. So actually, a lot of the time, we can work on specific projects which just are around improving people 's confidence and understanding, but a lot of the time we 'll actually be thinking what's the the generic culture what's the culture of the business how do they behave how do and and this sort of tra- it, it, it goes across every aspect of it from the top right down to uh, the you know the most junior people in the business what you can change and what people need to do about it
0: so you, we're in the change business you and I and you have not necessarily only this but you have a lot of clients that are in the agency world tell us a little bit about what specific is about working in the agency world so
1: i used to work at a digital agency called agency republic They were five times marketing agency of the year in london they were phenomenal and this was at the point when we thought the agencies the digital agencies were going to take over the big incumbents and we'd be the future Mm -hmm. Sadly that's not quite what happened. What we actually saw happen was a lot of the talent would be raided from the digital agencies, they'd be parachuted into these big uh, network or creative shops and I would then get a phone call very soon afterwards saying, help, we need to improve the knowledge levels, we need to improve people's understanding of the opportunities. And from that, that kind of is the spur that I needed to set up Congregation, actually, to move into creating my own uh, consultancy business.
0: Well, so what if I listen to you, I, I think of the challenges that big businesses are having in integrating digital. So they might hire a digital, chief digital officer, a, a senior geek, in the same way when a big agency tries to insert digital knowledge into the agency, what are the, some of the challenges that they face in, in bringing that together?
1: For the agency? Yes. So again, you often don't see that cultural shift. When I was at Republic, we had a very collaborative, flat structure. Um, Ideas could come from anywhere, and it was a very sort of um, non-hierarchical basis for the business. And that worked really well in producing sort of great integrated and digital comms. But if you look at the way... Agencies are generally founded and structured. You'll generally have a sort of totemic, inspirational, creative director who'll found it or sort of a great thinker at the heart of it, and then everything sort of uh, flows from there. And actually, what I found is, having initially worked at... My first job was uh, for Yamaha Musical Instruments, a very structured, hierarchical Japanese company. I then moved to Apple uh, for five years, which is a far... Still hierarchical, but more networked, more uh, collaborative environment, And then to go back to a traditional, a digital ad agency that actually sort of was structured in quite a traditional manner, it seemed very old fashioned. Mm -hmm. One might say almost Victorian. And there's this, um, there's an anthropologist uh, called E.O. Wilson, who I'm absolutely obsessed by. He has this wonderful phrase, which is um, the trouble is we have Neanderthal emotions and minds, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. And so what you have is this situation where we're surrounded by phenomenally powerful technology, and yet the structures and the institutions and the companies we work with often function in a very traditional, almost 15th century style way.
0: One of the things I wanted to dig in with, it may not be your specific area within congregation, but the motivations and the remunerations of people in an agency seems also not to have followed the evolution. We talked about hierarchy, we talk about top-down, and yet people still need to get paid for doing a job. Have you any ideas as to how to improve the way we remunerate reward-recognize individuals and agencies for participating in a less hierarchical environment?
1: It's it's quite a big question. Um, Most agencies will try different remuneration models. Lots of people want to get into moving away from comms into solving business challenges, coming up with new products that they can sell and market themselves. Um, we run an interesting sort of program called the Friday Club where we put startups and marketeers together and the, the brand marketers basically spend uh, half a day a month trying to help startups solve their sort of marketing and comms issues. I honestly haven't seen any particular models in terms of remuneration that work uh, Particularly well. I mean, the the agencies are still sold on a time based basis, which is insane. It makes absolutely no sense. There's no incentive to solve problems quickly, and there's huge issues with the agency wants to sell more people for more time, and the brand is coming from obviously a very different place.
0: When I listened to you before about the creative director, who of course is usually somewhat of a pacha in, in the midst, to what extent? Is it important for that creative director to be digitally connected? Because usually they have an aesthetic eye, they're, they're, they're paid to be creative, and they come with a certain experience but may not be digitally connected. You
1: would have thought the creatives would be the most curious, most interested in new opportunities group of people within any sort of a creative agency. In my experience, and I may not win any friends here, they're often the blockage. They're often not particularly interested in, in, in new opportunities. Some of this is because, you know, often they'll come from a background which is they're sometimes frustrated film directors who, you know, like Tony Scott or Ridley Scott, want to make their own uh, movies at the end of it. So every answer to every brief is generally a sort of a 30-second TV spot with a view to sort of... A, winning at can. Yeah, winning at Cannes. Um, and I just, yeah, it's just interesting to see the, the the level of, I think, because they're expected to be the most creative, the most curious people within the organisation, a lot of the time they just don't, you know, that's that's almost, puts them into some position of freeze. They just freeze and think, right, okay, I don't know about this, I don't, you know, I've got no interest for it. And it's the classic sort of. It's just what the kids are up to it's not relevant for me it's not relevant for my audience and and i think you know the really smart people and sometimes we always get there in the end you know you always win and whether it's just getting them to start using twitter or starts to start setting up a social media listening post just getting them to engage in this stuff it's you know you always get there but the barriers are really really fascinating and, you know, if I was to say I try and do one thing more than anything else, it's basically just try and encourage people to be curious about what's happening. Um, all my favorite people in advertising feel ridiculously insecure about their knowledge, knowledge levels, and they're generally the, some of the smartest people you'll ever come across, but actually they sit there and worry about not knowing enough, just not being aware of new emerging behaviors or new emerging sort of technologies, and actually... I think that fear is sort of quite a wonderful and powerful thing in, in terms of sort of driving us forward and giving us that sort of uh, that understanding of, of what the opportunities are out there. So I think part of it's encouraging people to be curious, part of it's encouraging people to have the confidence to challenge people, to ask the right questions. You know, um, I run a course which is called The Language of Digital, which is basically for the whole organization to an, agree a certain amount of language that they'll use when they're talking about technology. You get rid of, rid of as much jargon as possible. You have the confidence of anyone in the business can challenge people and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're right. just trying to confuse and...
0: All right, so yeah. drill down on that one. So what is too geeky? Hashtag? No, has, okay.
1: <laughs> hashtag is fine. But the, the thing is, it's, it's not whether it's geeky or not, it's just... When I first started at Apple, I was the lead music software trainer in the UK for Logic, which is their music production suite. And for the first two weeks of my job, I would basically face these incredibly smart musicians who were using the software every day, and they'd come in and baffle me with these sort of bamboozling long convoluted questions about technology and after about two weeks I wanted to resign and leave and I just thought I'm not qualified to do this job and then I went through a process of just pushing back quickly on some of the questions they'd ask and just challenging them a bit and trying to work out what the number of the issue really was and you suddenly realize if they can't succinctly explain what the problem is they don't they're just very confused and they don't really understand what the problem is, and therefore they can't see the solution. And once you just start listening a bit more, you start pushing back and probing with ver- various questions, all became clear. And I think it's exactly the same when it comes to technology and communications and marketing. We have a situation where we traditionally had the geeks who knew the stuff, and they would obfuscate and confuse as a way of selling in inappropriate ideas and inappropriate solutions to people who had just been told we need to spend 20% of our budgets on digital this year, which is a fatuous, ridiculous thing for any business to do. So I agree with you. Yeah, I had a client two years ago, and they said, you know, I've got a 20 million pound budget in the UK, what proportion of that should be spent on t- digital? And it's, you know, I was like, A, you're not paying me enough to answer that question, and B, you know, it's a ridiculous question, it doesn't make any sense. What's the business context? What's the objectives you got? you 've got and it, and it was is what, your audience on
0: digital is your audience on digital
1: you know and i think we 've gone you know my big frustration is we 've sort of as an industry we get very excited by new technologies and we tend to all chase the same opportunities so You know, I often use the Gartner hype cycle in classes where we just explain where is the technology on the hype cycle. Is it in the peak of inflated expectations where everyone's jumping around? Okay, we've got to be on Snapchat. Snapchat's the newest platform. That's where we need to be doing stuff. One person will do an isolated piece of work that will work on that particular platform, and then suddenly everyone else sees that as a proof case, and there's a sort of gold rush towards that. So we're all constantly chasing the ball, looking for the same platform. So we went from making flash microsites 10 years ago that no one visited to Facebook pages that no one's interested in through to mobile apps now which people download well just yes, we, we spent hundreds of thousands of pounds making and no one downloads we know most people well, if they download it they don't go back to it yeah and so and so you, you know I'm not anti-experimentation, I think. Experimentation is the best thing a brand can do, trying these things. But you need to learn from it. You need to actually sort of learn from where things went wrong rather than just having that culture of blaming the person when it went wrong, trying to sort of brush it under the carpet and, you know, pretend it never happened. I have clients who I look at seven years ago and they were more digitally advanced than they are now. You know, they've, they've developed none of their owned media platforms to any degree. All of their activity has been on rented platforms, whether it was MySpace, F- Friendster, Facebook, you know, wherever it happens to be next, Twitter. Um, you know, obviously you need to, you know, to use the horrible phrase, fish where the fish are, and sort of you need to be active in those channels, but you obviously need to also have your own presences, which you evolve over time. They help your visibility in terms of search, And, you know, there's a phenomenal amount you can do in that respect. So a lot of the time it's kind of pulling people back from the precipice of just doing the latest, craziest thing and actually going, you know, what do we want the brand to look like in two or three years' time digitally? You know, where do we want it to sit? Where should we put our investments? And if you look at someone like Red Bull, of course, they're they're phenomenally successful in social channels, but they also have .com which is the hub. That's where all the content sits and that's what gives them the long-term value and
0: uh, growth potential. They are a media company after all. When we're dealing with creating a strategy with a brand, if you have a Red Bull or if you have maybe an Apple that has some higher mission, that a very very specific point of view, that galvanizes, it seems to make it a lot easier to have a digital strategy because it's something a little bit more, you can relate to it, more human level. To what extent is it important in your work to have a brand that has a human level, a higher purpose? And if you don't have one, can you create an effective digital campaign?
1: I think Red Bulls, obviously, there are the examples that we all trot out all of the time. And and, and I I get incredibly, you know, if one more person talks to me about, well, Nike do this, therefore we should do it, or Harley-Davidson, Apple, Red Bull, whoever it happens to be, the reality is, you know, those brands aren't typical. Most brands, if they attempt to do anything similar to that, which we'll just fall flat on their face. But you can have purposes which are a bit more human and simple, and not missionary. quite. Yeah, they, they don't have to be as missionary. So, for example, if you look at Dove and their work around sort of body confidence, self-esteem, and you know women's role in society. Not every FMCG brand can have that kind of high-level role. And actually, I've only got a certain amount of room in my life for brands that can tell those stories. Actually, a lot of the time, just having a little idea around we want to be known for, you know, fun fashion for all, which you talk about Uniqlo or sort of uh, Best Buy, just delighting people with new technologies. You know, you can take quite simple, mundane brands and actually give them quite spiky focus strategies which don't have to try and solve all of humanity's issues but the trouble is I think when you speak to most brand marketers the average tenure of a brand marketer now in the UK is 18 months you can speak to them and just ask them what the brand means and it's kind of they can't even answer that question,
0: let alone... And, and, and what, and what order they might answer will be different from the person sitting next door to them.
1: Yeah, and if you look at, I think, the, you know some of the brands, so I sometimes work with Johnny Walker, and famously they had the same marketing manager on Johnny Walker um, for 15 years, and they also had a very long-standing relationship with BBH, which is obviously recently sort of finished, but, or, or, or changed. Um, and you see that, you know, sort of By having consistently brilliant people working on something for a long time, you'll often see the outputs will improve on the back of that. Good work comes from good relationships. You know, I ironically do this thing telling people about the future of technology and communications, and that generally involves me standing in a room talking to them as if I was a Victorian school teacher. I'm slightly less, you know, more relaxed than that, and it's more interactive and workshoppy. But fundamentally, putting people in a room together... Talented, creative people in a room together often brings the best results.
0: So when we're talking, you mentioned Dove, part of a large organization. What type of angle do you have or challenges do you face when you're working with a brand in a large organization that has a corporate culture? And then you have a specific brand culture like Dove in particular has such a strong Identity working in a large corporate organization. Do you have, had you, had you, had, you know, faced that challenge before?
1: I think in, a, in an organiza- organization of that scale, you can have issues where, again, we look for proof points in the work. And if one brand does something, everyone wants to do it. And so, you know, the big thing three years ago was every brand was about participation and engagement. And actually, join again, yeah, join the conversation. Of course, that's relevant for some people, but you get this groupthink that you happen within businesses where one person will do something, everyone else has to follow. And I think, you know, an interesting model is when you have these kind of SWAT teams within the business that almost run as separate startups, and they're given a huge amount of leeway, and they can just do their own thing. Also, with some of the sort of uh, global businesses I work with, you often have this situation where the closer to the mothership you are, the more what's the word, the more obedient uh, the marketing teams will often be and they will follow the party line and then actually when you fly out to developing markets, yeah, yeah. Africa, China, South America, they're doing crazy stuff that they would rarely get through corporate but actually it can really work. And then, you know, my job at that point is to decipher how that work came about and proliferate that work within
0: the business. And on top of that, they're probably doing it with less resources if, you know, we're talking Africa with lower tech, but it can, so, it can be so much more powerful and engaging and, and you often find a much stronger employee engagement on the project than the ones who are closer to home, as you're saying.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, again, it comes back to this thing. We obsess with the latest, shiniest technology technology. Um, And we're all thinking about 3D printing at the moment, but actually if you look at the use of SMS in Africa or the way WeChat's evolving in China, actually what you can do with fairly straightforward technologies, it's not the technology that's interesting, it's how we use them. It's observing these behaviours and just being a bit of an anthropologist and sort of keeping an eye on what's happening. I was in Hong Kong at the end of last year and just observing their use of mobile phones. Just everyone being constantly on them. Of course we like that in the West. In China, it's another level. Mm. You know, everyone's got yes. selfie sticks, and you go on the right. tube, and it's mm. absolutely jam-packed. And they're you know, doing these incredibly ornate writing out the, 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 their messages or doing the sort of voice, voice messages based on that. And it's actually just looking at those use of technology and sort of how not just companies but also people are innovating.
0: Mm. I, I even think, I mean, thinking about WeChat, how Twitter should be... Uh waking up to how much more WeChat is innovative than Twitter is. Yeah, of
1: course. And I, and I think, again, if you look at most new technologies, the inventor has no idea of how that technology eventually gets used. So if you look at SMS, it was a diagnostic tool for Nokia engineers to be able to send diagnostics between each other when a phone had broken. If you look at Superglue, it was invented to keep, you know, to, during the war to keep sort of stick wounds together. And actually, you know... Alexander Graham Bell famously said, I can foresee, I think this was him who quoted it, he said, I one day foresee a day when there will be a telephone in every major city in the United States. Crazy guy. Crazy and, guy. and yeah, you know, who'd have thought a telephone in what, every city? And at that point, we thought telephones would be sending opera down from New York so the rest of the, ma- the masses could listen and improve themselves through uh, high culture. But actually, you know, it's it's the way we sort of morph and, and mess around with the technology, that's when things get quite uh, fascinating.
0: Yeah, looking at the usages. So, Tim, in your experience, when you're driving down the message in, in an organization, we talked about the creative director a little earlier. Yeah. What about the, the head, the CEO? To what extent do you believe the CEO needs to be uh, completely understanding digital? Is that relevant in, in your perspective?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and and one of the things that you can, you know, so a lot of my job, sometimes it's talking to large groups of brand marketing people. Sometimes it's doing one-to-one coaching with uh, C-level executives. And a lot of that coaching morphs into therapy, which is basically, <laughs> I don't understand the language that my subordinates are using. What the hell is this? How can I learn about it? And, and then you just have to, you know, the, the, my belief, which sort of... Uh, grew out of years of training and and years at Apple, which was uh, hands-on personal experience. Personal activation will breed professional understanding. So actually, if you're using these tools, if you're not afraid of them, if you can show people the benefits and give them that light bulb moment of, oh, shit, that's why I want to use that. That's why that's really interesting to me. Then you can unlock interest and engagement. But again, if I've spoken to you, and I've had three sessions over three months. If I then leave you in that position in stasis, and you're not encouraged to constantly try this stuff out, then you'll get to a point two months later where you'll be afraid to put your head above the parapet, and you won't really—you know—again, most of that confidence would have dissolved. So actually, you need to engender that sense of curiosity and interest in what people are sort of uh, what people are doing, and just give them the tools, show them. If you don't understand it, have the confidence to challenge people on your board about it. If they can't explain it simply, they probably don't understand it themselves. And actually... You know, just getting the CEO to start using Twitter will suddenly, it sounds like such a fatuous thing, but suddenly the rest of the business, everyone will suddenly be, they may not be tweeting, but they'll actually be listening to everything he says. They won't want to go into a meeting not knowing that stuff. Just getting people to set up a a listening post on Hootsuite, which just has the key influencers, the key brands, your key competitors in four or five different columns. We'll just, you know, I'll check it before I go into a meeting and I'll have a really good picture of what's the content being shared, what's interesting, what passions do people have around the brand or the idea. And from that, you know, you just feel slightly less unqualified than one would normally.
0: I I mean, I love that idea. I mean, can you imagine having an agency meeting where everybody pre-brief, pre-a meeting has to have looked at, their their wall of hootsuite i mean that would be a beautiful thing but
1: also you need to know what's the stock price of the business what's keeping the marketing director awake at night what's keeping the ceo awake at night the ceo a lot of the time you'll find you know they'll be in their 50s or 60s and they'll just try and sleepwalk into retirement without you know really fucking up the business And actually, you know, their job is to, it's it's damage limitation and collateral sort of control. The visionary ones, and we see we work with a lot of these companies, are the people who actually just really wake up and say, you know what, things are shifting. Software is reinventing every business on earth. It's reinvented, it's, you know, publishing, music, film, video. what's next, you know, sort of journalism's going through this process education's about to go through it, health's about to go through it, advertising still behaves, if if Don Draper walked into an ad agency today it'd pretty much look the same way it did back in the 50s and 60s, there might be a screen in the, in the reception which has some bubbles with some tweets and things in it, but beyond that not much has changed
0: So I hear you and, and yet Agencies still play such an important role in, in big brand business. If you're marketing in a company, what kind of advice would you, uh, would you give to them for dealing with their agencies better in order to get more effective, more punchy, more efficient, anyway, campaigns?
1: Put people in a room together and make them work together. You know, agencies generally, and this doesn't matter whether you're talking about the social media, the traditional, um, the direct, the PR agencies, you know, they've all got their own agenda and they're all basically trying to carve out a larger slice of the pie. They're not very good at collaboration. And there's a very good reason for that because they're not rewarded for it. And, and we we've, we've sort of slightly sort of covered that uh, before. There's no easy answers to that. But actually, the best work comes from when you put people in a room and force them to work together. So if we think about you know, the famous examples of the Old Spice response campaign, there you had the social media listening people, you had the creatives, the writers, the TV guys, and uh, the data insights people all in the same room. And you basically banged heads together and get them to do that work. With Oreo, the Daily Twist, I think they got FCB Draft. 180, and about four different agencies that get together every day for 100 days and each day come up with some new content. And that became the process that is now their social media. As far as I'm aware, that's the way they now sort of run their social media accounts. And that doesn't just work in the social space. It also works across, you know, just creating great integrated businesses across uh, all of
0: their outputs. So, it's actually very exciting times. I mean, at the end of the day... There's a sort of an element of some people hiding, putting their head in the sand to try to get rid of it before their retirement. But for the rest of us, it's an extremely exciting time, and, and there is so much change. You mentioned before the, the, the curiosity and staying up with what's going on. What kinds of tips can you give us as for, for a, head, a head person who would like to stay up with what's going on? So
1: 10 years ago, it would have been impossible for me to run my business with the small group of us that we have, you know, I, I would have to subscribe to lots of data insights, lots of trends reports. Just be, you know, really aware of lots of technologies that that you know people weren't sharing before. More people are sharing more than they ever have done, and that's incredibly important. And the the, the most important thing, find the interesting interesting people, stalk them, follow them, meet them, just stay in touch with them. And 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 actually, you know, I get in lots of trouble because. I don't follow my sister on Twitter. I don't follow my friends on Twitter. They get really offended. But actually, Twitter for me is purely about inspiration, finding out new, interesting stuff. I, I, you know, I prune my Twitter feed incredibly regularly. And, you know, I'm very time conscious of, of not spending too much time on it. I understand a lot of people don't use Twitter that way. But for me, just finding those 30 or 40 people, actually listening to them quite regularly means that I get to hear their smart stuff and say it back to other people and other people think I'm way more intelligent than I actually am. And I think it's just, you know, it's just being a sponge. It's just being curious and interested in what's happening at the moment. We are working in one of the most challenging times our industry has ever faced, but the opportunities are absolutely phenomenal. And actually, if you can get the slam dunk within the business. If you can have that big win, then, you know, it's the best thing you're ever going to be able to do for your career and your future prospects. And actually, you know, that's what I try to help happen, encourage the, the give people the confidence to actually sort of think differently, try different things and try things in new ways, which will hopefully uh, change the outputs, you know, because if the people the process and the inputs don't change, then obviously nothing else is going to change. We need to change the stimulation, we need to change the approach and the strategy, and then with the right people and the right levels of knowledge, we have a chance of creating some really interesting work.
0: So if you would like some more spark in your change uh, and wanted to track uh, down Tim Spark, how would you like people to connect with you?
1: (laughs) I I listen on Twitter a lot. I don't say that much, but um, at Sparky... Uh, S-P-A-R-K-E-Y on Twitter is probably a good place to start. And then come to uh, Congregation, have a look look at the website, which is uh, congregation.io. And, yeah, just uh, get in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, Tim.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs' Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray And heal me with all your imperfections That you mention in your lack of you